Today's Animal Spirits Talk Your Book is brought to you by LifeX by Stone Ridge Asset Management. Go to LifeXFunds.com to learn more about LifeX, their fund that provides monthly distributions all the way to age 100. LifeXFunds.com. Welcome to Animal Spirits, a show about markets, life, and investing. Join Michael Batnick and Ben Carlson as they talk about what they're reading, writing, and watching. All opinions expressed by Michael and Ben are solely their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome to Animal Spirits with Michael and Ben. We had Bruce Bond on the podcast, and Bruce is the CEO of Innovator ETFs, and they came to market, I don't know what year that was, 2018, something like that, 20, maybe 2019. Either way, right after the show, Ben and I said to Bruce, or maybe it was before, this category is going to be huge, or this thing is going to be huge. Like, And the reason why, credit to us, we were so right on that call is because investors in a chaotic world, investors love predictability. LifeX, the product that we're talking about today, is in the similar category in that it is offering investors distributions for life up to age 100. And I think that there is going to be a lot of appetite from advisors via their clients for a product like this. I guess the best way to describe it would be it's an annuity in a mutual fund, but it's not really an annuity. It's kind of, it, it, it's got it has similar, annuity features. It has annuity features, especially the pooled feature, which allows you to get a little bit of a bigger distribution. And I, I do think that having that income, I think that's probably one of the scariest things about ripping the bandit off and going into retirement is just not getting a paycheck and not having it regularly come to you. And then looking at your, your one big pile of cash or savings or whatever it is and being like, now I have to figure out what I can spend out of this. It's, it, it's a very scary proposition for people. When you're creating financial plans for people, there are lots of variables to consider. And if you could minimize some of the uncertainty, you know, I think I think that's attractive. And the way that they do it, it's not magic, right? They're not like there's no sort of alpha, for lack of a better word. It's longevity pooling. They're pooling the risk of of people eventually dying, and they're passing that premium back to the investors. And that's that's the whole business model for an insurance company. But in this case, they're able to create a liquid product. So It's literally we, survival of the fittest. There we go. Right? There we go. All right. Well, here's our conversation with Nate Conrad from LifeX. We're joined today by Nate Conrad. Nate is the head of LifeX. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. All right. So, this episode is going to be interesting because the product LifeX that we're talking about today is interesting. It's not like anything else that I've seen on the marketplace. And I give that I give that to the audience just so just to level set a little bit here that this is not the standard ETF or anything like that. Um, so with that, Nate, why don't you explain to us what LifeX is and then we'll we'll dive into some some questions. Sounds great. You know, maybe a, a helpful way to explain the product is to start with a, a little thought experiment. So I'll just make up some numbers, but imagine you're 65, you just retired, you sit down with your financial advisor uh, to talk about how much you can spend for the rest of your life, and your financial advisor gives you two choices. One choice, you're going to get a check for $100,000 every year for the next 30 years, and that's what you get to live on. 
The other choice, you're going to get a check for 125000 instead. So you get, you get more money, and that check is going to keep coming until you die, and then it's going to stop. So you're probably not going to live 30 years. And so the benefit of the first one is that you keep getting money after you're dead. So the trade-offs really, what, what do you prefer? Do you want more money while you're alive or more money after you're dead? And to me, that's a pretty easy choice. I, I want more money while I'm alive. It's not that useful to me after I'm dead. But you, when, you, when you zoom out and you think about what we do as an industry and financial planning, most people's plans look like the one that goes for 30 years. And it's not the give me more money while I'm alive choice. It's the give me a set amount of money for a set period of time. You know, we run people's financial plans till they're 95 or 100 or something like that. And we don't use techniques like longevity pooling and annuities uh, to give people more money while they're alive. And so our, our mission with LifeX is to give this new choice where people can take a lifespan linked amount of money. That's going to be a higher amount of money than they would, they would get if they weren't willing to have that amount of money be life contingent. So the, the product gives you lifespan linked payouts for your lifetime through age 100. But at some point, it, it starts to end after you pass away. And that's where the boost in, in the cash flow comes from. Michael and I have actually talked a lot of, in recent months about people who reach retirement age and they've, they've put money away their whole life and they've, they've saved or they, they ran a business and they sold it and they have this big pile of money. And then they have to turn around and become spenders. And psychologically, that's very difficult for people to do, for, to go from I'm saving, I'm whittling away, I'm, I'm, I'm hoarding everything to know and now I have to spend it. And studies show that a lot of retirees actually don't spend very much of their money. They spend their income or their yield but they don't want to touch their principal because they're worried about bad stuff happening. And so maybe before we get into the nitty gritty of how you guys do this fund, you can talk about the psychological benefits of knowing that there is a set amount of income for you to spend each year, month, or whatever it is. No, absolutely. What, what you said resonates a lot with me personally because I, uh, I was at a wedding earlier this year talking to my uncle who recently retired, and he's doing exactly what you said. He said, you know, I'm just trying to live off of the distributions coming off the portfolio. I don't want to touch the principal because you never know. And I think a lot of people, you know, the minute that paycheck stops coming in, you start to look at your portfolio a totally different way when it's the only way you put food on the table and pay your rent and, you know, take, take care of your grandkids. And people are just scared. There's so much to be scared of in retirement, whether it's, you know, you don't know what's going to happen in the markets like in 2022. You don't know the way inflation is going to drive your expenses higher in a way that's going to compound every year for the rest of your life. It's a, it's a really scary time. And you know people love getting that paycheck that they have when they're alive. And there's really no replacement in most people's retirement portfolio giving that, that sense of foundational income in their life that they can count on. They know how many dollars are coming in to the penny, same time of the month, every month. You get that from Social Security. People love that. Maybe you get it from a pension if, if you're lucky, but that's really it. And those types of income sources people have, for most people, they just aren't enough. Well, what about, I mean, th what you're describing, it sounds like an annuity. Yeah. So, so what are the differences between what LifeX offers investors versus what has traditionally been, I think, a multi-trillion dollar industry? I mean, there's, there's a lot of appetite for certainty, certainly when it comes to distributions and spending. So- what is it that LifeX does that's so unique relative to what's been around for, I guess, I don't know, annuity is probably one of the oldest, oldest financial contracts. What are some of the differences? Sure. You, you, you're, you're definitely right. The product does resemble certain types of annuities. There's really one 
type of annuity in particular that was really the inspiration for LifeX. That's the the single premium immediate annuity, the type where you you write a check to the insurance company today and they start giving you a paycheck every month for as long as you live. Um, it's a wonderful product. Um, you know, the the number one uh, provider of those in the market is New York Life, um, a wonderful, highly rated company who, as as it turns out, is is um, is uh, one of the operating service providers that we work with in this product. And uh, as we work through the design of LifeX, we spend a lot of time with New York Life learning about that product and the way it helps people. There's a gentleman uh, by the name of Ted Mathis who recently retired after a stint as CEO of New York Life, and he's taken on an advisory role for us. And one of the, one of the things he told us was when he was CEO of New York Life through 2008, he would get thank you letters from people who had bought an immediate annuity from New York Life, where when the stock market was falling apart and people would sit around and talk to other people who were worrying about their portfolios and you know what, what was going to happen to their life savings that they need to live on retirement, the people with the annuities didn't have those concerns because the check showed up every month. You don't get a lot of thank you letters running an insurance company, I don't think. So pretty special to get those. Um, so that's very much the inspiration. The problem is, there are only about $10 billion of those types of annuities sold every year. So the annuity market itself is enormous, but that particular type of annuity doesn't get a lot of buyers. Why not? You know, I think you could point to a couple different reasons for it. To me, the big one would be liquidity. You know, there, there isn't great liquidity in a contract like that. Very little ability to change your mind. And people feel like they're making a big irrevocable decision of, you know, take 25, 50% of their life savings and put it into one thing with very little ability to change their mind. Um, the tax rules are terrible. You know, if you liquidate those annuities, it can be quite punitive. So the big thing for us was how do we create that type of a, an income stream that's reliable to the penny, that gives you the benefit of longevity pooling, but make it liquid, easy, not scary. And to us, the way to do that was to, to give it the daily liquidity at NAV that you have in a mutual fund, which is such a commonplace thing in people's portfolios. They know them, they understand them, and it gives you that ability to buy it today, sell it next week, next month, next year, if you need to. And then the way we designed it, you can sell it at NAV without any penalty up through age 80, which, you know, if you're buying it at 65 when you're retiring, 15 years is practically forever to change your mind. So I, I'm curious, was there some sort of regulation in place that made it so you couldn't build this portfolio in this kind of structure before or this type of strategy? Uh, so maybe you could just talk about that and how, how you're able to do this type, because it seems like we're getting more and more types of insurance-like products in mutual fund and ETF wrappers. Yeah. So w what we've done here is pretty different than most of the other forms of innovation out there. You know, there, there have been a lot of new rules coming out, you know, Secure Act, Secure Act 2.0, um, and a lot of people pushing to change the rules to make it possible to, to deliver better things for retirees. What we found was an opportunity in the existing rules that was kind of hiding in plain sight. We, we found a way to do this without changing anything at all about the way the law works. And that was part of the reason we were able to um, really crack the code on this back in 2019. Um, we, we've just been kind of working on the product for a long time and stealth. The, the novelty here, um, there are a few aspects to it. First and foremost, you know, we're, we're selling shares of a mutual fund to different people at different prices. Not something that's ever been done before. Um, it's the way insurance works. You know, everybody pays a different price for life insurance based on their age, based on their gender and other factors. Never been done in a mutual fund before. Turns out it wasn't prohibited. It's just something nobody had ever tried before and, and we got to be the first to try it. 
So take it. So take us under the hood. What exactly is going on inside of the mutual fund? So there's really two things that that drive all of the payouts coming out of LifeX. The first is just the the yields on U.S. Treasuries. So uh, when when you're let's say 70 years old, you're buying LifeX. It's going to give you payouts um, up through age 100. What we're doing is basically buying kind of a fancy bond ladder of U.S. Treasuries to create payouts through age 100. And you know, you you say it just that way sounds all well and good. I could just do that on my own. What what do I need you for? The magic is that beyond the age of 80, the payouts that you're getting every month become life contingent. And so, if you live to 85, you get payouts till 85. If you live to 90, they go to 90. If you live to 95, they go to 95. If you live to 100, they go to 100. By having it be life contingent and having your payments stop after you pass away, that leaves more money to give to other investors. So, you know, if the fund is distributing a million dollars a year, but less people are alive sharing those distributions, that means more money. And that's where all of the additional value comes from above and beyond treasuries. And to give you an idea, you know, today, I, I think our uh, payout rate, if you were to buy the product as a 70-year-old male, would give you something like 7 7.5% of your initial investment distributed to you every year for up to 30 years. Those distributions are paid out on a monthly basis, is that right? Correct. Yeah. So take that, you know, you put in a million dollars, maybe you're going to get 70, 75,000 a year paid out to you. Take that, divide it by 12. That's your monthly payment. And am I reading right that you have to be, you can't buy this fund until you're 65 or older. Is that right? Uh, age 60 or older. 60 or older. Okay. So you Correct. have to be over 60. And how much does that yield fluctuate? Like if someone says, I'm going to give you $100,000, maybe you could walk us through someone who's at age 60. What happens there to how you determine that current yield for someone just coming into the product? Sure. So to, to give you a sense of how the numbers vary, you know, if you're a 60 year old, the payout is, you know, maybe on the order of like five and a half percent, just rough, rough numbers, probably not precise to the decimal here. Um, but it's a pretty wide range based on based on your starting age. And you can think of that as being driven by two things. One, you know, your risk of passing away is very different when you're 75 or when you're 60. So there's a, a difference in your longevity risk. And then second, the payout for everybody goes through age 100. So if you're buying at age 60, that's going to be a payout for up to 40 years. If you're buying at 75, it's only up to 25 years. So those two things combine to drive payouts that are very different based on your starting age. The way we're able to price this in a way that we think is really reliable is going back to a question you asked earlier, uh, we're working with New York Life. So they, they are and have been for a long time the number one provider of income annuities, uh, which are the, the best corollary in the insurance space. And that gives them this incredible data set of what types of people buy these products and how long do they live and what's the selection bias that you see relative to the general population. And so uh, we are using the proprietary data set, the exact same they use in their annuity business where they're putting their credit rating, stamping a guarantee on it. We're taking the same underlying data and working with their actuary team to create the same type of uh, reliable pricing that they bring in their conservative nature. And we're delivering it in a mutual fund where you don't have a credit rating and a promise to pay from that company, but the underlying assets are just treasuries. And the, statistic, the statistical framework is the exact same to make it as reliable as it can be through age 100 in the absence of that guarantee. So you're able to pay a higher rate than treasuries offer today because 
you're pooling longevity risk. The basic idea that some people inside of the fund are going to pass before their life expectancy. How many people do you need for this product to work? In other words, is there a threshold where it's statistically speaking, you need, I don't know, 673 investors in order to really precisely be able to deliver the returns that you're offering? Where is that line? It's a great question. And the answer um, is a shockingly small number of people. We think it takes about on the order of 100 people per age and gender. You know, it, it's not a hard and fast rule because it depends on how much everybody invests and like, but you know, you don't need tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands for this to work. You need on the order of 100. And if you get to 500 or 1,000 in an age and gender, you've kind of maxed out the, the statistical diversification benefits because the, the underlying insight is the lifespan of two different individuals is basically uncorrelated. And so you get proper statistical diversification very, very quickly. Can we talk about the liquidity part of it? So let's say that you start with $100,000, you're age 65, and then in year four, you say, you know what? I have better uses of my money, whatever that case may be. You don't get your entire $100,000 back. Is that offset by the pants that you've gotten? How exactly does that part of it work? You know, let's, let's take a 60-year-old as an example. The payout's about 5.5%, give or take, for a 60-year-old. You're going to get that. Um, with the ability to change your mind up through age 80, so 20 years of earning 5.5%, that'll mean you've gotten 100% of your initial investment distributed to you over those 20 years by the time you're 80. You know, you get this choice at, you know, call it age 79, you know, God forbid you got a terminal illness, you're not healthy, you're not comfortable, you can just redeem and um, take your assets at NAV with no penalty. If you're comfortable, you want to keep it for your financial plan for the rest of your life, you stay in. Maybe you make it to 85, maybe you make it to 90. Um, you should have gotten significantly more than your initial investment back if you bought it at 60. It's a little bit different based on your purchase age. It's not the case that everybody gets 100% back by age 80. But the design goal of picking age 80 as when it becomes life contingent was designed to create that result that most people get most, if not all, back by age 80 and to have it be a relatively small risk that you feel that you're taking on your initial principal. I always like to say that Social Security is by far the best annuity for most people because it has that inflation kicker. How do you think about inflation in a product like this? I, I agree with you completely. So the way we built the product, there are actually two choices you can make. One is a fixed payout. The other is an inflation-protected payout that we uh, you know, copied with great, great appreciation and attribution to Social Security. Um, they use an annual inflation adjustment based on CPI year over year. We do the exact same thing. And under the hood, the trade-off is just do you buy regular treasuries or do you buy tips? And so if you buy our inflation-adjusted product, it's going to start a little bit lower, the same way real yields are a little bit lower than nominal, and it's going to grow every year with realized CPI. So if you put in a million dollars and you're 70 years old, maybe you get $70,000, $75,000 a year in the fixed payout version. Maybe it starts at fifty-five or sixty thousand dollars a year, inflation protected. But if inflation, you know, grows at three percent, you're going to compound at three percent. If it grows at six percent, you're going to compound at that too. So it is actual CPI because it's just tips under the hood, which is a really big deal. And there's really not a lot that people can buy today that's truly inflation protected and that's predictably cash flowing. You, know, you look at people's portfolios in 2022 and really tragic if you're a retiree. Imagine if that was kind of the first year you retired and your portfolio's down, call it 20% because of an inflation spike. And what do you buy to protect against that today? 
you know, before this product comes along. I'm not sure. Can you just get back to the to the liquidity part of it? So how does how does it work in terms of so you start with a hundred thousand dollars, and I know we're not getting down to the penny, but just directionally. After five years, you, you you let's say again, God forbid, you get a terminal illness, and you say, "Oh my God, I'm not going to make it until age 80 or 100. Uh, I'm going to take my money back today, and so that so that you know the money doesn't disappear upon my upon my death." What happens to the hundred thousand dollars that you put in? That's offset. That is offset by by the distribution that you got, or is that roughly how it works? So the the amount of money you get back, it's going to depend on what interest rates do. So under the hood, we're buying treasuries. Treasuries, you know, could go up and down as a function of how interest rates change. The key way to think about it that I think makes it simplest, since basically everybody has a big allocation to fixed income, is if you buy and then later choose to redeem, the total return on your investment from when you bought to when you redeemed will basically just be the total return of an intermediate treasuries fund or the total return of a tips fund net of the fees and expenses. So if, if interest rates go up, price is going to go down, and vice versa, if interest rates go down, price is going to go up. You're going to get more money paid out along the way. That's all going to adjust into NAV. So when you actually run the math, what happens is you know maybe you're earning 4% a year in interest income net of fees, and you hold it for five years, you earned roughly 20%, but you know more cash along the way versus at the end compared to redeeming from a treasury fund four years later. Very, very similar, small fee differential. Got it. That makes sense. Um, in terms of, so the amount that you get depends on how old you are and your gender. Does that mean that there are multiple different share classes for every year? Like, do you issue new share classes? How, how does that part of it work? And I assume that this, just like any other instrument, since it can sit inside a brokerage account. Can you talk about that? Yes. So the specific mechanic here is that there is a different ticker based on your calendar birth year and your gender. And so we're offering, um, come January when the product launches, we're going to be offering for calendar birth years 1948 to 1963, which is 16 different calendar birth years, times two genders, times two payout types. So there are actually 64 different tickers. They're actually um, totally different funds, not even just share classes of the same fund. Uh, but they are, they are uh, five five-letter ticker mutual funds that can fit into an individual or joint brokerage account. They can fit into an IRA. Um, they're they're going to be available on kind of the traditional custodians, financial advisors use. And you can just buy them with a click without any paperwork, subscribe and redeem at NAV, no, uh, no upfront backend load, anything of that nature. Given that this is an income-based product, are there any weird issues with taxes if you're using this in a taxable account? How, does, how do the tax side of things work? So um, I wish I could take credit for this as skill, but um, there's a little bit of luck here. It turns out the product is incredibly tax efficient when you look at the types of income that it creates for tax purposes and, and how that comes about. You know, it, it's doing a couple things for you under the hood. It's giving you treasury interest income, which is going to be exempt from state and local taxes. That's no different from any other treasury fund. The really cool stuff that happens um, when you think about the the life contingent payouts after 80, you know, if, if you live till 90, 95, you're getting the benefit of money left behind by people that passed away, you know, maybe in their 80s. What's really awesome about this product is the value created for you as a living investor when somebody passes away and gives up their future payouts is not taxable to you at the time it happens. So when somebody passes away at 82 and leaves a little bit of money behind 
and you benefit from that and having a higher NAV per share, you don't pay tax at the time of that happening. You pay the tax on the money left behind by the people who passed away, basically in your 90s, when that money gets distributed to you, and you pay it as long-term capital gains instead of ordinary income. So normally when you think about buying bond funds, you, you you think about getting, you know, maybe ordinary income coming out of a corporate bond fund where you're paying federal, state, local taxes, you're going to get a tax deferral of that, you know, pay the tax in the 90s instead of the 80s when those people pass away, and you're going to pay the lower tax rate of long-term capital gains instead of ordinary income. So, you know, I think a 70-year-old might have something like a give or take 10-ish percent blended tax rate through age 90 on these distributions, even if they're in the income bracket for maybe like 250 grand of income. So much, much lower tax rate on these distributions than you would think. I want to make sure I'm understanding this right. So let's say that you're in a share class with a hundred other investors and uh, highly unlikely, but just for this, this exercise, 90 of them die uh, prematurely at age 68 and 10 remain. Do the, does, does the money that's, that that's left in the accounts of those who passed, does that boost up the nav or does that go to, to, to Stone Ridge or to LifeX? So in other words, like that, that benefit traditionally would have just gone into the insurance company's pockets, right? How does it work with, with LifeX? Yes, you're exactly right. You know, normally, you know, I, I say this, you know, not, not to put any impure motives, but just the fundamental nature of insurance is, you know, you're doing a transfer of risk from yourself to the insurance company, which creates this, you know, I die is good for you. I live is bad for you when you're buying an income annuity. Um, nobody's fault. That's just the, the structure of that relationship. What we've done here, um, there's not a risk transfer from the investors to anyone else. Rather, you're kind of mutualizing that risk among the retirees. And so if more people pass away earlier than expected, all of that money left behind goes to the living investors. It doesn't come to Stone Ridge. It doesn't go to New York Life. And so um, if people generally have shorter life expectancies than we expect today based on actuarial tables, there will be extra money resulting from that leftover at age 100 that would go to the living investors at age 100. Okay. So so at age so it doesn't get distributed. The NAV doesn't go up. At age 100, it will be, it will be distributed as like what? Like a one-time coupon sort of thing? Yeah. So the NAV on a per share basis to you as a living investor would be higher. It just won't result in higher distributions to you until age 100. But at age 100, we liquidate the fund, give whatever's left back to whoever's left alive. And so you would get that money at age 100 if you were alive. And you know we love that if there's money left over, it goes to those people that are still alive and need it. There is the flip side risk. You know, If, if the population lives longer than we expect today, again, there's no risk transfer, no guarantee. And so maybe the fund only goes to age 99 instead of 100. It could run out of money a little bit early. We think the magnitude of the risk there is pretty small. You know, it's 99, not age 89. Um, but but there is, you know, symmetry in that, that, the way that works. Obviously, that that's the risk people be worried about is I buy this and I keel over the next day. But like, how good, working with an insurance company on this, how good are they at their actuarial tables? Like, they, they have to be pretty on the on point, obviously, most of the time, I would imagine. Yeah, you know, they... they uh, they're highly rated for a reason. Um, they, the, the power of actuarial predictions is shockingly robust. Now, you know, uh, it, it's hard to make predictions, especially about the future. Uh, so never, never want to be overly promissory about the way things are going to proceed in the next 30 years. But when you look at the historical data around how robust 
actuarial predictions have been, the volatility around these estimates and the volatility around how healthcare is improving lifespans, it's incredibly predictable. And so we uh, we feel pretty good in this product about how robust it is and it's designed to last through age 100. But really, even when you think of, you know, what's the the craziest thing that could happen and you start stress testing it with, you know, maybe we cure lung cancer or we cure diabetes, whatever the case may be, we see impacts that are pretty small to the fund. And quite importantly, even in some of the worst, worst in the sense of great news for, for healthcare, things that you can imagine happening result in this product being probably much more reliable than anybody's financial plan today. That's dependent on, you know, does the S&P go up or down? You know, do interest rates stay here or do their bonds keep selling off? So the, the stated yield that you're showing to advisors who are showing them to their clients, I assume that's net of fees. And if so, what are, what are the economics of a product like this? How do the fees work? Yeah, you're correct. Um, the payouts we quote are a net of a, a 1% total expense ratio. Um, it, it's pretty completely variable. Uh, we set up kind of a unitary structure here where Stone Ridge bears the fixed expenses so that you don't have to worry that you know your client's going to be 95 years old and the nav will be smaller and their expenses will skyrocket. That's not, not a thing you have to worry about. You'll hear us um, use words like payout or you know, distribution rate, something like that. We try not to call it yield just because we want to be really clear and we don't want people to get confused and you know compare the yield apples to oranges. Um, and so we, we talk about kind of payouts and, and distribution rates. It, it, as far as advisors using a product like this, obviously you'd be happy if, if someone put their whole financial plan in this, but uh, you know people like to diversify. So do you see most advisors using this as like a fixed income alternative and balancing it out with the stock portion of their portfolio? How do you, how do you see that as far as portfolio management goes? Yeah, there, there are two primary ways we've heard people talk about it. You know, there's a lot of people who, who operate on a model-driven basis. And you can um, imagine looking at high-grade fixed income, take your treasuries, tips, IG corporates, maybe some munis, and you can drop and replace LifeX and the models for 10, 20, 30% on, uh, on, to just create a higher post-tax cash flow coming out of that fixed income and continue to provide you know, what fixed income is really there to provide in the first place, which is kind of a diversification benefit relative to owning stocks, right? You know, all the returns historically came from stocks. And so just replacing it for fixed income allocations, you know, 10, 20, 30% of a portfolio is one path. The other path is when you sit down and you review the client's financial plan and you know what categories of expenses they have in those amounts. You can cover those core lifestyle expenses, the things that they're really going to worry if they're not sure they have enough money to cover those, those are the ones that you're meant to have a really reliable source of income to cover. And then once you've done that, then the advisor gets to sit down and look at the rest of the portfolio and really go to work to create growth over the next 10, 20, 30 years to invest for the wants and the wishes in the financial plan. The, the product itself, as we've discussed today, is fairly straightforward, right? It's not, it's not like uber complicated. You're basically, you're pooling risk and that longevity premium, which is fairly reliable, I mean, people die, that's going to investors and not, not the company. Um, how, what, but, but, but there definitely is going to be an educational component where the advisors have to understand it because there are, even though the product is fairly straightforward, there's a lot of, well, what if this, what if that, what if that? Uh, how are you planning on going to place to market? Because this is, the product's not out yet, right? You're saying it's, it's being released into the wild in January. What is that going to look like? Are advisors, is there like a phone number they could call? Do they email you? How does, how does that education piece work? 
Sure. You know, um, we believe that people need people to get them through retirement. And so uh, we're, we're big fans of the financial advisory model and having a fiduciary there to help you get through the rest of your life. We think the, the vast, vast majority of people will benefit from having a financial advisor side by side to guide them through this. And so we're only making it available through financial advisors. Um, it's not going to be available direct to consumer. And so there's a nice, unique source of value that a financial advisor can give to a client that the client can't get for themselves on their own. Over, over the last six months, we've spoken to just about 200 different uh, independent REAs across the country. And uh, we're working with quite a few of them towards uh, participation at day one launch in January. And we provide, uh, we provide coverage, you know, not just for the investment committees and, and the financial planning folks, but all the way down to the advisors teams. Um, we've already started doing in-person speaking engagements um, for the advisors and even their end clients. And we, we were just out a couple of weeks ago speaking to about 300 end clients together with their financial advisors of a firm. And uh, we gave a talk on LifeX. Afterwards, you know, a 70-year-old client of a financial advisor came up to ask, you know, I, I have $300,000, you know, I want to put it in LifeX. What, what does that give me? And, uh, and pretty, pretty special experience for us. Um, our, our presenter there did the quick math and the, the advisor's client hugged our speaker. First, first time we've um, experienced that. But I think it, it goes to, to show what Ted Mathis told us about those thank you letters during 2008. It's a special kind of product for an advisor to get to bring to a client. Um, and we want to be there side by side to help with that. I get the appeal. People, people love predictability. And there's definitely going to be quant nerds that tear this product apart and say, well, you could just, you could just, and that's not the point. The point is people love predictability. They love ease. They love the simplicity of wrappers like this. And so uh, I'm excited to see the response from the market. Um, I think it's going to be very, very well received, uh, but we'll see. So the, the this this product, uh, LifeX by Stonebridge comes to market in January. Uh, Nate, we appreciate you coming on the show. If people want to learn more about the product, where could they find you? So uh, you can find us at lifexfunds.com, L-I-F-E-X funds.com. Um, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll be out there um, putting out new content on, on a regular basis to help people get educated on the product ahead of launch and, and as we go into 2024. All right, that's lifexfunds.com. Nate, thanks again. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, thanks to Nate. Remember, check out lifexfunds.com to learn more. If you're an advisor and want to hear more about this, uh, send us an email, analspirits at thecompoundnews.com. Investors should consider LifeX's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses carefully before investing. The prospectus contains this and other information about LifeX. A prospectus can be obtained by visiting lifexfunds.com. The prospectus should be read carefully before investing. Please refer to the show notes for important information, including links to LifeX Funds prospectuses.